Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family, planting churches together. Join us as we hear from leaders of this movement from across North America and discover what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. Today we're talking with James Roberson, lead pastor at The Bridge Church in Brooklyn, New York, about the fear in church planning and the necessity for planters to love God and to love the people in their city. James Roberson. What's up, man? Um, man, it's always good to, to connect and uh, you know, to talk with you. I'm just gonna just jump right in. Yeah, man. You know, and just talking about church planning, right? We are Sin Network. Mm -hmm. The idea and part of being a part of Sin Network is that like our heartbeat is that we, you know, our heartbeat was like, we wanted to be the last generation mm -hmm. that has to leave the urban context for sound discipleship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and part of that is that seeing a church planted you know, in every community, if we're gonna be the last generation that we gotta see more churches being planted or strengthen some of the churches that are already there. Yes. You know, and for the vision for Sin Network is that we wanna see uh, a, a healthy multiplying church in every community across North America. Yes. But sometimes there's a danger in that, right? Yeah. This idea of wanting to, you know, fulfill that dream. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, understanding kind of the, the wreckage and the carnage that kind of goes in church planning. Let's just talk about, like, one, for you. You know, you're from New York, but you left New York for college, and, and but then you went back to New York, you and Natasha, to plant the bridge mm -hmm. in New York. Talk about, first, let's talk about, like, this your personal challenges of being someone who is parachuting in, yeah. you know, to a church. Because a lot of church plants are parachutes. Yeah. You know, couples moving into yes. uh, a neighborhood or a city, mm. you know. Talk to me about your journey first and just kind of the struggles in that. I think that um, something I didn't realize till I was in it, um, because I, even though I grew up in New York, I didn't grow up in Brooklyn. Yeah. And so Brooklyn has its own unique challenges and I grew up outside the city. So I was basically a suburban kid planting in an urban space. So I wasn't used to the trains, I wasn't used to the rent, I didn't have apartments, I didn't grow up on the block, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. So I back then I had like a, a thick New York accent, mm -hmm. but I but I still wasn't from all that. So I couldn't relate. But I had an advantage. And part of just being a minority and being in majority spaces, I knew I always had to be a learner. I knew mm -hmm. I had to like understand different contexts. So because I had been displaced, because I had I had to adjust myself to cultures, coming into Brooklyn in general first was just learning the people, learning the pace, learning the struggles that they had. And I learned early on that, um, you know, what people in New York really feel is a desire for authenticity yeah. above all else, mm -hmm. but it's authenticity matched with great skill, right? Yeah. So it's good that you're honest, but if you're not good at what you do, you get canceled really quick. And I just learned that through conversations with people, just hearing people talk, you know? And so, uh, but when we got there, man, ah, you know, it was cold, man. I mean, I was coming from Atlanta, you know, I was down in Atlanta, and before that I was in Raleigh, and before that I was in Texas. So I became an adult in the South. Yeah. Um, I, I went to Virginia to play college football when I was 17. But when I, you know, by the time I was like 36, I moved back to the city. And man, I just wasn't used to wearing like fat gooses anymore. I wasn't used to like Tim's. I just wasn't used to that. I wasn't, you know. So coming back, adjusting to the weather, but then adjusting to the rent. I mean, yeah. that was crazy, you know. 
The thing about New York that is challenging is that the rent is equivalent, like San Francisco has similar rent, mm -hmm. but our square footage. So for 600 square feet, we're paying $2,500 a month, $2,700 a month. And, and then you add the cold, and then you're trying to meet people. So that combination yeah. uh, became very overwhelming, and I think is overwhelming to a lot of guys. So how did you do it? How did you go in, parachuting in? It's you, it's Natasha, you're in the city, and we're like, all right, go plant a church, you know, and, yeah. and we're, by the way, we'll support you for a couple years yeah. in order for you to, to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, this, this talk about that challenges, that challenge yeah. or the challenges that you faced with that. I think the first thing that was of the most importance is that I could not operate out of a fear of failure. Yeah. Um, because I, I knew that if, one, I had failed before, and I, and I always keep this mentality, I kept the mentality that, um, you know, during the NCAA tournament, you'll have the 16th seed play the number one seed. Mm -hmm. And when the 16th seed plays the number one seed at halftime, if it's close, the number one seed might be winning. But the 16th seed, even though they're down by four, they're like celebrating because yeah. they're happy to be in the game. Yeah. Right? They don't even think they deserve to be there. They're just like, we're happy just to be here. And so I tried to keep that 16th seed mentality like, I don't deserve New York. I don't deserve a big plan. I don't deserve that. I, I'm happy just to be in the game. And so that kept me positive. It kept yeah. me Christ-centered. But I would wake up in the morning. I had a big whiteboard in the apartment I was in. I had a bunch of names of people I was calling to raise support. I would do that in the morning. And then I would do that, um, or I would kind of organize that by from 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Mm. I would make phone calls, just phone calls, phone calls. I felt like people were free at that time. And then at 2 o'clock, I would walk down the street, um, down Fifth Ave in Brooklyn, um, from the David E. Missionary House where I lived, all the way down to the Barclay Center. It took a half an hour. And so I would do that every day. And so uh, in the morning, like I said, Book of Acts, I'd read that, do my calls, walk. So I did that for two weeks straight, mm. nothing. Like, mm. I'm reading, I'm like, come on, God. Like, nothing's happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, uh, you know, that was my plan, and I didn't <laughs> see it. I wasn't raising no money, and I wasn't meeting no people. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, Lord, this is not working. And uh, finally, I met, well, I went uh, to this one coffee shop. I just needed to go into a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And then I called up one of my friends. Um, his name was Wade. He's a DJ, Wade O. And, I, and he lived in Jersey. And I was like, Wade, I need to meet anybody. Yes. Like, they don't have to be a church planner. They don't have to be a Christian. They just need a pulse. They need to be alive. Like, yeah. just let me meet somebody. So I, I said, Wade, who do you know? He says, man, I know this guy named Danny. If you meet Danny, he'll connect you to everybody. Mm -hmm. I was like, word, okay. Yeah. So I was like, what's his last name? He was like, I forgot. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, all right, well, give me his contact. He was like, I lost it. <laughs> Seriously, he was like, I lost it. I was like, well, what borough he lives in? He was like, man, I can't remember. <laughs> so I was like. He was really helpful. Yeah, I was like, so you mean to tell me this Danny is in New York City. You don't know what borough is in. You don't know his last name. Mm -hmm. And he was like, nah. I was like, all right, man. Well, when you find that information, <laughs> give it to me. So we hang up the phone. Mm. At the time, I was in a coffee shop, and the music was really loud. And I walked out of the coffee shop. And while I was outside, I'm telling you, like, the fear I felt in that moment, like, uh, the doubt. Like, what am I doing? Mm. You know, like, in this very moment after I got off the phone with him, like, I'm trying to find people. I can't find nobody. In that very moment, I looked across the street, and there was a church called Park Slope Christian Tabernacle mm. right next to the Barclay Center. Mm. 
I go back into the, and it was a, in New York, most of the churches are very gothic looking old. And if they're there, you rarely see a new looking church. And it had a new like mm-hmm. frame in front of it, storefront, but it had a new like windows and doors and all that stuff. So I go inside back to the coffee shop. I go on Google and I Google Park Slope Christian Tabernacle, go on their website, go to the about page. Their lead pastor was a guy named Luis Alvarez. And their youth pastor was a guy named Danny Sanabria. And I was like, this cannot be. This I was like, be this Danny. I was like, this cannot be the Danny. Yeah. So I walk in, so I, I go across the street. It was a Wednesday night. And uh the light was on. They were having Wednesday night Bible study. Mm-hmm. So I walk in and uh I meet this woman. She walks up to me and I said, Listen, my name is James. I know a guy named Wade in Jersey. And he told me about a guy named Danny. And she was like, wait, wait, oh, yeah. She was like, Danny, Danny Sanabria. Yeah, that's my brother. I'm Lily Sanabria. I was like, so you know the Danny. She was like, that's my brother. I was like, oh, okay. And then um, that church became the building where we would do our Bible studies in. Mm. And they said to me, they were like, what, what do you need? I was like, everything. I need everything. I need friends. I need, I need an office. I need, I need a phone. Friends. Yeah, I was like, I just don't have anything. Yeah. So, they, so they let me office out of there. They let me do a Bible. So I had no people yet. But I had a place, because I didn't even know if I was going to plant in Brooklyn or Harlem. I just, I didn't know. I just was like, God, open up a door. Mm. So that door that opened, Danny really did connect me to people. That's how we got our first website. It was from meeting with a guy there. So we just made our connections. And then a month later, a guy emailed me and said he had heard I was there. And we just discipled them. And we started our Bible study with two people. Is that Rich? Rich. Yeah, yeah. Rich and Emmy. Yeah. So from from that, and he just did he become the gateway to kind of developing that <laughs> core team? So so everything I'd read about church planning was like find peacemakers, yeah. you know, in their network. So I remember, you know, I met with them and uh he went to Old Dominion University, his wife went to Duke, and they were de church. They had been to church for years, they hadn't been to church for years. So I took him out to eat at Applebee's. Took his wife out, got to know him. They said, hey, we really want to be a part of your church. We don't go to church. I was like, great, you know. So then I made my move. I was like, all right, tell me about your friends. And I'll never forget. They're like, we don't have friends. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was like, when you say you don't have friends, like, nah, we just, like, chill at home and whatnot. So I was like, wow. So we started the Bible study with his mom, his brother, her best friend, and her sister. That was the Bible study. Yeah. And it and then and how long did that go for? Oh man, like two months. We're two or three a gather, bro. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, it was yeah. it was just us and I just I but that, that's all I had. Like yeah. and I knew I had them. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know what this will become, but I have them. And then over time I met I met a girl named Mona in a yeah. in a, at Panera Bread in a coffee shop. I met a guy named Carvin's Lassant, um, actually a girl on our team, met a girl named a uh, guy named Carvin's Lassant on a train. So then, and then they began okay. to meet people. And so it went from two to 10. To- so when did you feel the transition going from just survival? I don't know if this is going to make it. I had the fear that you had walking out the, the, the pizza spot or the coffee shop to, okay, God, I can start feeling like this is going to work. This is, this is going to work. <laughs> um, so we had been going, we started the Bible study in June of 2013. In December of 2013, we had two people leave the team. Mm-hmm. And I had, that's when I really began to doubt, yeah. you know, because the young lady was going to be our worship leader, the guy I wanted to make him my assistant pastor. And in that moment, I was like, oh, can I lead? Yeah. You know, I'd already faced failure before. And so yeah. those doubts started creeping in, like, can I lead? So I went to uh, North Carolina uh, during Christmas break. 
we took the Bible, we took three weeks off of Bible study, mm-hmm. went down to uh, North Carolina to see my dad, got sick while I was down there. Um, so I was depressed. I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just came back and I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to be in Bible study. During that time in New York, they was having this thing called a polar vortex. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it to you. Yeah. It was just very cold. Yeah. And it seemed like the coldest day those in, the, in that month was always Tuesdays. And that's when I was doing my Bible study, Tuesday nights. And the Bible study from the three weeks I had been gone had grown by 15 people on a polar vortex yeah. Tuesday. So while I, you were gone. Yeah, while I was gone, you know, we had, didn't have yeah. the Bible study. So there was a polar vortex. It was yeah. Tuesday. I was like, I've been gone. Yeah. It's a polar vortex. Okay. Whatever that is, I know it's cold. Nobody's going to come. And we had grown by 15, 15. people. Yeah. And I remember just seeing, you know, you're just hearing the door open. You just keep hearing the door open, and you're just like, and I'm almost wanting to break down, you know. Yeah. In the middle of it, because it was a miracle. Yeah. 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 So I wanted to quit so many times. Yeah. That was that was that was kind of like God's moment. Like I see you. It's it was like you know when, when you were sitting there. In the uh, in the Bible study, and you know, <clears throat> you know those nervous feelings. Like if you throw a party or if you're doing a Bible study, that nervous feeling, like nobody's gonna show up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That feeling, and then like, and then it's cold. And you're like, no one's really gonna show up. Yeah. You know, and and then you just hear, you just keep seeing it. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Man, I mean, and just knowing you, and just knowing kind of the journey, and just even the fears that you had in that, you know, and then it going and seeing churches and pastors that their story didn't end in the same way that your story is ending. Yeah. You know, and that they did have to shut down. They did have to move back. They did. Yeah. Like, what are some of your fears as, you know, as we have this desire to be the last generation that has to leave the urban context of sound discipleship or we want to see a, a healthy multiplying church. Like, what are some of your fears as some of these planters or even as you've seen some of the planters move to New York that had to close their doors down, yeah. that did not make it. Like, what are some of your fears with that? I just, I don't, <clears throat> we were talking, you know, you were talking about this uh, the other day. You know, our lives were changed by Jesus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like one day, just, we had an encounter and it was so powerful that we wanted to share it with someone else. And we call that doing ministry, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's what that is, that's doing ministry. And we feel like there's a mission that we want to place that in. And so from the activity of doing ministry and having a focus on a mission, those are the two things that I think should be stirring inside of us always, no matter if it's a church plant, no matter if it's a city, if it's rural, if it's suburban, that should be stirring inside of us constantly. Church planting is very entrepreneurial. It's fundraising. It's finding a building. It's children's church. It's microphones. It's stages, you know. And I find so many people who are focused more on planting a church than doing ministry, right? So when you come into the city, you can already see them thinking about launching. You can already see their desire to get a certain amount of people. Mm-hmm. And but, but it takes a long time to learn people's needs, to know how to serve them, to mm-hmm. understand them. And so it, 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 in, in a lot of ways, my fear for a lot of guys is that it was never really about ministry. Yeah. It was always about like this church planting industry, 
right? And when you get into, when you see church planting industry more than you see ministry, mm-hmm. then you, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about websites, you're thinking about your cards, mm-hmm. you're networking, but you're really not serving and mm-hmm. caring for people. I know, I've met too many church planters who love New York, but they don't love New Yorkers, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a point at which you start loving New Yorkers that you'd even be willing to stay if the church plan doesn't work out, yeah, because you want to see lives change, right? And so, how do you make the distinction between loving New York and not New Yorkers? Is it just the thought of being in New York? I mean, what is I mean? can't stand New York. Yeah, I hate the cold. And you know, the other day somebody was like, "You know, you from New York?" I was like, "Yeah." They're like, "You know, you're you don't sound you don't have an accent. You don't sound like you're from New York." I was like, "My rent sounds like it's from New York. I paid thirty seven hundred dollars <laughs> in rent." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't like anything about that. But what? I, but I love the people. Mm. You know, and and I endure with the people, and yes, they're they're raw, and you know, my, the average age of my church is 26. They're 85 percent single. They're a bunch of creatives, all these millennials. But I love them, you know, and I so I endure with them. I'm patient with them. You know, there's been times I've wanted to quit the Sunday service, but I didn't want to leave them, yeah. the people, you know? Yeah. And so when I say the people, I'm talking about Emmy and Rich and Lou and Josh and Jess and their their son, Calvin. Like, I'm talking about names. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that distinction comes with just names. Like, yeah. you know, I, I love those names. Yeah. And, and I love the condition. I love to minister to them in the conditions that we're in in the city. Yeah. And I think that's it's when it's the point at which you become passionate about ministry that you're willing to endure the challenges of the industry of church planting. Yeah. There's um, Chip Dodd has a quote in his book, Voice of the Heart, he says about passion, and that's what I hear and what I hear you saying is a passion is a willingness to endure mm-hmm. the pain mm-hmm. for something that's greater than the pain. One of the things you talked about in terms of the mentality that you have to have in going into New York is that you got to come to the conclusion like you may never own a home. Yeah. You may, like, the, the tremendous sacrifice that unless you have going you in there. You will never own the home. You will never own the home. Unless you become rich or something. You yeah. won't own a home. You will not. I mean, so Tim Keller like, don't have a home. Yeah. Once he said that, I was like, oh. I'm not getting a home. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, you don't have a house? He's like, yeah, we'll never have a house. I was like, well, that, I told my wife that night. I was like, Tim Keller ain't got a house. So, so we're not getting No. So, I mean, so it's just kind of like that's the type of passion that you have. I mean, do you see... Like, what separates from those who make it and those who don't make it? Is it just the that that love New Yorkers versus New York? Is it just the willingness to endure the pain? Like, is it that we're we're putting them out to, you know, out there too quick, too fast? Like, well, I mean, what is some of the things, the challenges? It's, it's oh, man, this is being filmed, right? All right. Um, one, when you've grown up in the suburbs of the South, particularly like husband and wife, you, you know, you dream of backyard. There's a particular way that you understand raising kids. The city, you don't have a backyard. You have a park. Mm. So you don't have privacy. No, you, you're not going to go to Walmart. You're going to go to the bodega. You're going to go to the corner store. You don't have a washer and dryer. You have a laundromat. Mm. So just off top, and you're pay- and and you're living in 600 square feet, 700 square feet, and you're paying an astronomical amount of money. So just the physical challenges, just there, become so overwhelming for a husband, but in particular a wife. Yeah, that's where I see it happening the most. Because the guy, you know, the guy's passionate; he can do anything. Yeah, you know, he had this dream. He's got, and the wife yeah. is like, mm-hmm. And then they get there, and then it gets real cold. 
And then they see, you know, then they're bundling up their kid, and he looks like this big igloo walking down the street. And just she's to trying do to laundry. just to do laundry. And she's like, "Is it?" She's like, "Is this worth it? Is this what I dreamed of?" I, I was born in Alabama, or born in Texas, or in North Carolina, and it's just like, ah, and I miss my family. Yeah, you know. So the the and then you're paying so much, you're having to tell supporters, and then when you only have ten people showing up, and you know, in the South. You know, folks have this, they're conditioned to think growth numerically. It's interesting because what I try to tell people is tell your folks you're on mission like overseas. Like give them that vision. Because if you have 10 people in India, we're cool with that. Yeah. But in New York, you're like, you got 10 people? Okay, we'll keep praying. You know, yeah. you need to have 100 soon, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, just that ability to understand you're in a very different place yeah. in different contexts I think is the most helpful for the husband and the wife to understand and their ability to endure. Last question. A church planner, not from New York, yeah, or not from a big city. Mm-hmm. This like I'm about to take me, and my wife, and my family into the city, and I want to change the world. I want I want to make an impact. You know, I want to plant a church. What would be your advice to that to that couple that is coming into a city, specifically New York? They're they're coming to New York to plan because they hear about the numbers, they hear how hard it is. And it was like, I want to be a missionary. I feel God's call for me to be a missionary in this city. What, what advice would you give them? You know, Jesus says everything hangs off of two things, right? Love God, love your neighbor. I think you have to keep your heart's posture in a love for God. That's why you're doing it. But then in loving your neighbor, um, it, can never, it can never become so much about Sundays. If I could just encourage you, don't use Sunday language so quick. Use people language. Oh, I'm doing a Bible study or I'm, we're doing a cookout or some, anything. But just the minute you say Sunday, if I say the word chicken sandwich, you think Chick-fil-A, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's by association. Yeah. The minute you say Sunday service, you create an expectation in yourself, in your people, on your prospectus, amongst the people around you in the city, and they create, and I don't care, I don't care what you call it, it's attractional. Yeah. If it has a microphone, it's attractional. Mm-hmm. And so the minute you create an attractional space, you put attractional pressure on you, and you can't match what's on YouTube. Mm. You can't match what's on Facebook. And that's what people are seeing. So the best thing you can do is talk a lot about ministry. Hold off to Sundays till you get about 60, 70 people. Mm. Is there something like, why 60, 70? Well, at that point, one, it's an actual crowd. There's a reason to have a microphone. (laughs) Just off top. But then two, you have enough core lead because if you're really trying to reach unchurched, de-churched people, you know what unchurched, de-churched people do after Sunday service? Yeah. They still act like unchurched, de-churched people. Yeah. They don't come to church every Sunday. Yeah. So you, you've got to have enough of a core team in order to deal with the transient nature of people in the city. And, and if they have any kind of like upward mobility, they're busy. So 60 to 70 gives you like at least a crowd that you can actually feel like, okay, there's a reason to feel attraction. And then over time, over the years, you up the ante on your children's church, you up the ante on your on your worship, you know, you up that side of it. But hold off because if it's not done with excellence, you're gonna get people who feel bored. I hear you saying hold off, but what do you say to the sending and supporting churches in from the South or from other places putting pressure on like, are we supporting? How do you know whether we're putting our dollars around a good thing or, like, like how, how do you know in a you, place like you, that? You're hitting the nail on it. Tell them to call me. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, 
are you trying to take what you experienced in the South and just transplant it up to the North? Or are you willing to learn culturally what it takes? If you're willing to do that, then you'll allow for there to be, we're not saying no launch date. Just acknowledge we want a launch date with some um, court, some some dyna- some launch indicators, yeah. and a launch indicator would be some benchmarks. Some benchmarks. That's yeah. all. That's all we're saying. So that way you can merge the desire to have some. You know, if you're supporting people, you want to know just a win, but you also want to know what's a win for us in terms of people because a, the crowd matters. Creating a crowd matters if you're going to do Sunday well. So much more to say, so little time to do it. All good. Man, I really appreciate it. Thank you for just your vulnerability and transparency, you know, during this time. And I really think that this is the message that a lot of us need to, to hear when we're talking about church. And I'm like, it doesn't end our desire to wanting to be the last generation, mm-hmm. but we, we want to do it in a, in a way that is God honoring and we're not leaving people out, mm-hmm. you know, um, to fail. So yeah, thank you. Absolutely.